The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So we will not fear, even though the earth move and the mountains fall in to the sea. The Lord makes the wars stop to the ends of the earth. He, he bends and breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Of course, as we gather, we all remember a decade ago when the Twin Towers fell. But did you know in Jesus' day a tower fell as well? It was uh, the Tower of Salome, and Luke talks about it in Luke's Gospel, and 18 people died when the tower fell. Perhaps the number does not sound large, but when you care and pair 18 to the population of Israel in that day, and then our own trade centers to the population in our day, you see both are significant. But my larger point to you this morning is that Jesus was in the vicinity and the tower still fell and people died. The psalmist makes this observation, that the Lord is our refuge and strength. And yet, earth still moves. Mountains still fall. The shattering realization of Psalm 46, which is, I believe, a great biblical truth, is that the presence of God does not, does not rule out tragedy. The presence of God does not guarantee our physical safety. God is not some sort of holy insurance policy protecting our bodies against all harm. Things, tragedies still do happen to God's people. Bad things happen to good people. Even though I think it'll never be me. Not too long ago, I was in a hospital and I had just vi- finished visiting a man about my age who was in a very serious uh, condition, going down a few floors to visit a woman much younger than I am in a serious condition. And somehow between the floors, I realized it could be me. It very well could be me. A decade ago, in the aftermath of 9-11, I remember somebody making this observation. Sometimes God's people take the promises that were meant for our souls and our resurrected bodies and apply them to our earthly bodies as if nothing would ever happen to our earthly bodies. But the fact of the matter is, Things can and do happen to our bodies, to our lives, to our homes. The fact of the matter is, we can't control the future. And we don't even know it. I was driving down a road uh, yesterday and I noticed one particular church said, Find out America's future Sunday night at 6 p.m. I'm thinking about going because I sure don't know America's future. I mean, about all I know is the future's not going to be what we planned. It's not going to turn out. Just the way my life is not exactly as I planned. You can never tell what will happen. You can only bet that it wouldn't be exactly as you planned. And sometimes that's a wonderful surprise. And sometimes it can be physically devastating. We cannot know. We cannot control the future. Oh, we have a Department of Homeland Security. They do their best to secure our nation. 
But there is no Department of Household Security. There's no one who guarantees that the fire won't jump the road and get to our house. That the illness won't find its way into our family. That the job situation won't change where we work. That there's no protection for that. A friend of mine suggested that maybe we should have household security. That mothers should gather the children every morning at breakfast and say, Kids, today the threat level is orange. Today it's elevated. I guarantee you in the future things will surprise you that will happen. And they don't always be what you like. Do you realize if we lived an entire generation and foreign enemies never stepped on our soil and never did harm to us, we would be about the only people that that happened to. Look at God's people. Enslaved and then attacked. Philistines, Amalekites, Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks, Romans. Someone's always stomping through their territory, torching their villages, making their lives miserable. I hear people say to me time to time, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to live when Jesus would have lived? Really? You want the Roman spear in your back? Do you want to be among 90% of the people who lived in Jesus' day and area who were dirt, poor? Why do you think Jesus had to multiply bread? Why do you think they wanted to make him king? Because life was so uncertain. Well, we realize that it's uncertain. The psalmist knows what's going to happen. We're going to be afraid. Anybody in their right mind will be afraid. When they know that they can't control the future and God isn't going to guarantee that it's going to be the way that they want. But the psalmist, I think, also knows that in fear, we are never our best selves. A friend of mine told me this week, I'm not a scientist, I'm just going to trust him on this one, that when we are overcome with fear, the part of our brain that is uh, in charge of creativity and problem solving pretty well shuts down. So when we're deeply afraid, what we need the most to help us, we can't find within ourselves. You've seen people with stage fright. Fear can be a terrible thing. 366 times the Bible says, do not be afraid. And for good reason. For good reason. Because in fear, it's not life. In fear, is just existence. I know I've told you before about the woman whose husband traveled out of town on sales. And every time he traveled out of town, uh, she would take the couch and um, the rocking chair and then the dining room chairs and stack them in front of the front door. Which worked absolutely great until the time he came home a day early and took her an hour to unpack everything to let him in. Fears like that just sends us on these, if we're able to move at all, it sends us in wasted motion. Well, if we're not going to fear, what are we going to do? Well, I have an idea, but first let me tell you what's behind it. I believe it is biblically true to say that the presence of God does not exempt us from tragedy. But I also believe it's biblically true to say that tragedy does not rule out the presence of God. That God is right there in the midst of God's people in difficult 
times. We just need to understand that events that happen to us, uh, we don't quite grasp them all the way. When we judge them, it's often premature. Events are really like icebergs. And, and, and when we see the tower fall, we're seeing a tip. It's not insignificant, but it's just a tip. And there's so much more underneath that has happened, that may happen, that may go different directions that you could not predict. Paul put it this way, we see through a glass dimly, darkly. We just look at things we don't know for sure what's going on. But one of the things we can know is whatever happens, God is in the middle of it. A great rabbi of the 20th century once asked this question of the Jews rhetorically. He said, why is it that we always ask, why did the Holocaust happen to us? He said, why don't we ever ask, why did it happen to him? Him being God. He's making the point that where God's people are and they're suffering, God is there suffering with them. Well, maybe you want a God that doesn't suffer. Or maybe you want a God that just zaps things and makes them come out the way that that God wants. Then you want Zeus or Apollo. But that's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible is right there with God's people suffering in their midst. Part of what we need to understand is just where God is and how God is there. And I would say God's among the people. Well, how? Let me tell you a little story. I heard this from Ray Vanderland. Some of you know Ray. He's a great teacher to our congregation. When he was a senior in seminary, he got the opportunity to go to Israel and study. He was so excited he was going to live a house in a house with fellow students and some professors. And the address of the house was Mount Zion, Jerusalem. That was the street. That was the location. He was really thrilled. Now, he was in charge of giving the devotional the very first evening he was there at the meal. So he was racking his brain on the plane. What do I do? Finally, he came up with a psalm that says, uh, Mount Zion will not be moved because God is in the midst of her. And so he waxed eloquently about the permanence of God in Mount Zion. And everyone appreciated it, cleaned up, tricked up their plates, took him to get washed, except for a kindly old professor who said, Son, sit here a minute. Said to him, I really want to thank you for your words, but I need to tell you something. Mount Zion has moved. This isn't Mount Zion. He said the real Mount Zion was over there. The crusaders couldn't conquer it. They conquered this hill, so they decided this hill would be Mount Zion. And then he said this. I hope during your study here, you will find out who and what really is Mount Zion. What do you mean? If it's not a rock... What is it? And you know what it is because you may have heard Ray when he spoke several years ago here. What you come to find out in the Bible is Mount Zion becomes the people of God. The temple becomes the people of God. And so God is in the midst of God's people. Wherever God's people are, there is God. So there's a, a, there's a catastrophe. Fires are burning. People are suffering. And other people are responding. And God is there. Not just waving some magic wand and doing miraculous things, though our God can and does do that. But our God is there in the people who bandage the wounds, who hold the hands, who stop the fires. That is where God is. The people of God are the mountain and presence of God. One other thing I just want you to understand real quick, and then I'll suggest what the psalmist says we should do. I think you need to understand the fact that... um, Or rather, there's a distinction between God causing something and God allowing something to happen and using it. I think it's very clear in the Bible that God doesn't doesn't often cause disasters. 
But when disasters befall people, God can and does use their suffering for greater ends and purposes. Just think of the lives that have been changed in the last decade. People who changed careers and gave their life to public service or decided to teach for America or decided to spend more time with their kids, moved from one career to another, began to pray in the aftermath. We can't always know why something happens, but we can know that God might use it in a way that will encourage and bless us and further God's purposes on the earth. So what's the psalmist's response to all this? What does the psalmist say? If God's presence doesn't preclude tragedy, but tragedy doesn't rule out the presence of God, this is his advice. Two words in English. Be still. Be still. Now, I preached on this ten years ago. If you've got a really good memory, you could remember this. And, I, and so I called on people to pray, and prayer is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing, but that ain't what the psalmist is talking about. Be still doesn't mean meditate. Be still comes from Exodus 14, 14. The people are trapped. The Red Sea is in front of them. The Egyptian army is behind them. They're in a really bad spot. And God says through Moses, be still and watch what I'm going to do. And the sea parts. And then God says, walk through that. And I think that's what God calls on us again to do today. To be still, to quit trying to put all the furniture in front of the door and make sure our house is never affected by anything because we can't do it anyway. And instead, look to Him to see what He might do and look ahead to the danger and courageously walk into it. You'll remember. I think it's a true story. I hope it's a true story. There was a man more than a century ago who was on a ship that went down off uh, the coast of North Carolina. And uh, he was in the outer uh, area. It was deserted, but he swam to shore, and parts of the ship came to shore Uh, Even provisions from the ship, some made it from the shore. And there he was. And so out of what he found, he built a a shelter, a tidy shelter. It's nice enough against all the troubles in life that he had had. He had the shelter, had a little bit of food. He went and had to gather some fresh water. One day he's doing that, and he looks and he sees the shelter he's built himself against the insecurity of life is on fire. And he gets closer and he realizes that what he fears most has happened. His shelter is burning and everything he has taken from that ship is up in flames. And he just puts his head on the beach and starts crying. It's all gone. It's all over. It's all up in smoke. Falls asleep there on the beach. Three hours later, lifts his head up to see a boat coming ashore. And a ship, larger somewhat off into the distance. And the people got off the boat and said, are you okay? And he said, well, yeah. I mean, what are you doing here? How did you find me? And they said, well, what do you mean? We saw your smoke signal. People of God, walk into the danger with one eye on the danger and one eye on the rising, knowing that God is on the way.